week when I was preaching on 1 Samuel, we went over to 2 Samuel and got the story of Mephibosheth. And uh, so that, and I could preach a bunch of places in 2 Samuel where we see Christ in the life of David. Uh, but it felt like the Lord to have us be in 1 Kings chapter number 4. Boy, don't the church look beautiful. I tell you, these ladies did a, a marvelous job. This, this behind me, I'm telling you, I just can't imagine uh, I couldn't imagine anything being any more beautiful than that. And uh, those that helped, uh, ladies and men, we, uh, we appreciate your doing that, being here all weekend long and uh, working on that. Uh, matter of fact, I think you started on Thanksgiving night, didn't you? Because Trey said, somebody's on the camera on Thanksgiving night. I said, they're starting decorating. He said, no, surely not, on, not this soon. I said, yeah, you, they, they, I said, don't tell them what it'll be. And uh, boy, it sure is beautiful, and uh, we appreciate the Lord for it. First Kings chapter number four. Um, I'm again reading verse number twenty-six, and read down through about verse number thirty-four. And uh, we're going to see if we can see the Lord in Solomon. Verse twenty-six: Solomon had forty thousand stalls of horses for the chariots and. 12,000 horsemen. And those officers that provided victuals for King Solomon and for all that came unto the king's table, every man in his month, they lacked nothing. Barley also and straw for the horses and uh, dromedaries brought they unto the, uh, pl- and unto the place where the officers were, every man according to his charge. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that's on the sea. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan and uh, the Ezrahite, and Heman uh, the Cherishal, and Dardra, the son of Mahal, and his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were a thousand and five. And he spake of trees from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that bringeth out of, of the wall, that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, God, that you'd help us today. Lord, we stand and confess, God, that we're unable, Lord, to preach without your help. I pray, God, that you'd pass by for a few moments, Lord, this morning. God, that you'd do a work, Lord, in our midst. Father, for everything that you do, we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, I want us to go over to Matthew chapter number 12. And I want to read one verse. Over in Matthew chapter number 12, and we'll read verse number 42. The Bible said... The queen of the south shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. 
For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. I want to to preach a little while this morning, if the Lord will help us, on a greater than Solomon is here. Now, when you look at 1 Kings chapter number 4, you'll find that it is a, uh, it's kind of a, uh, it, it goes over, kind of a synopsis of Solomon's reign in Israel. And you'll find in verse number 25, we didn't read it, but in verse 25, the Bible said, And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine. And so we find that during the reign of Solomon, it was marked by three things. It was marked by peace, uh, it was marked by unity, uh, and it was marked by plenty. Uh, and I'm going to tell you this, evening, this morning that a greater than Solomon is here. I'm glad to report to you that our Lord, uh, according to Isaiah chapter number 9, is the Prince of Peace. Uh, I'm glad to say that according to 1 John chapter number 1 and verse 7, where the Bible said, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. I'm glad to report to you that he is the God of unity. And as we'll see in just a minute, I'm glad that the Lord is the Lord. Thank God of plenty. Amen. And so a greater than Solomon is here. Now, I'm just going to brag on Jesus again this morning. And uh, you say, preacher, it seemed like you just got one message. I was, reading today, I was reading this week, somebody posted on Facebook, and they were talking about the shallowness of Baptist preachers. And they, say the, they said that the preacher just brings the same old tired message to the pulpit every Sunday. But I'm going to say to you that I don't have any other message than Jesus saves Jesus said, I just want to preach and brag on Jesus. Amen. And I believe that'll work. Let's look at uh, Solomon. We're going to go right down through these verses. And I'm going to show you how that a greater than Solomon is here. Now, the first thing that we see in these verses and that we'll notice is the wealth of Solomon. The Bible said that Solomon had 40,000 stalls of horses uh, for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. Can you imagine? I began to study this. Now, let me give you just a little, let me give you a little thought here. They say that in today's money, that Solomon would have been worth $2.2 trillion. In today's money, that would have been Solomon's net worth, $2.2 trillion. Let me put that in perspective for you. Elon Musk, is worth $282 billion. Uh, We find that the man that owns Amazon, Jeff Bezos, he's worth $201 billion. So get this. If Elon Musk, who is the most wealthy man in the world right now, if he was worth five times as much as he's currently worth, he'd still only be worth half as much as Solomon was worth. See, because a trillion is a thousand billions. And and Solomon was worth 
$1.2 trillion in today's money. He brought in hundreds of billions of dollars every year in tribute. He was the richest man, one of the richest men to ever live. As a matter of fact, there's an argument as to whether he or the Caesars were richest. But I'd say, I'd say that he's pretty rich. I mean, Solomon could have hired Elon Musk to drive his car, Jeff Bezos to mow his yard, amen, and Bill Gates to shine his shoes, amen. He was a rich man. But can I say to you that a greater than Solomon is here when it comes to his wealth. Oh, I, I got to stay on this. You'll just have to bear with me. Uh, as a matter of fact, we find in the book of Psalms, the 50th Psalm and the 10th verse, that our Lord owns the cattle of a thousand hillsides. Now I went to doing a little math on that. Let's say there's a thousand hills, and let's say he averages a hundred cattle in every field on every hill. That's not a stretch. Let's say all our Lord's cattle are real good cows and they'll bring $4,000 apiece. That in itself is $400 million worth of cattle. I'm just saying a greater than Solomon is here. Let's say for a moment that that phrase, the cattle of a thousand hillsides, is kind of hyperbole to mean that he owns all the cattle, which we know that he does. They tell me that there's over a billion cows uh, in this world. Uh, at $4,000 apiece, that's $4 trillion worth of cattle on this planet. And I'm going to submit to you this morning that our Lord owns them all. Uh, I'm here to tell you that a greater than Solomon uh, he is here. Let me throw this at you. The Bible tells us in Psalm 24, 1, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That means he owns it all. Well, I Googled it. You can Google it. Google's got the answer, amen. I Googled it, and they tell me the entire planet, if you were going to sell planet earth, if you was going to put a for sale sign on it and sell it to one of them little green Martians, that the asking price would be five quadrillion dollars. Now, a quadrillion is a thousand trillions. And the asking price for planet Earth would be five quadrillion dollars. And he owns it all, friends. Hey, hey, I said our Lord owns it all. But it's not just the, this world's riches. I began to think about his riches in glory. And how that he can open the windows of heaven. I mean, you think that he's got riches down here, five quadrillion dollars worth. You think about his riches in heaven. The Bible said in Malachi 3.10, Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that they may be meat in my house, and prepare me now now herewith, uh, saith the Lord of hosts. If I approve me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open unto you the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, that ye shall not, there shall not be room enough to receive. 
receive it. Why, no wonder they say you can't outgive God. The Bible said in Philippians 4:19, but my God shall, prepare, shall supply all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Hey, it's one thing to own a planet that's worth five quadrillion dollars, but I'm here to tell you that according to Revelation 21, that place he's blessing us out of, it's got gold on the streets. Amen. It's got sapphires and rubies and gates of pearl. I'm just here to report to you this morning, friend, there's a greater than Solomon here when it comes to the area of wealth. I'll ask you a question about that. Why would we ever worry about anything? If we really believe that God's got that much and he can open up the windows and he can bless it to we can't he can bless us to we can't receive it anymore, why would we worry about anything? Now I'm gonna say something. Over the years, it's getting nearly Christmas time, and I'm always reminded of it. People say, Well, old tithing is an old testament concept. But I'm gonna tell you, Malachi, he just it just sets forth an ideal or a precedent that you can't outgive God. And if you give, he gives back. Amen. I never will forget one year as Christmas time was coming up, Brother Neil. And uh, we always, what we'd do is we'd take a credit card and put all our kids' Christmas on a credit card. And then we'd spend all year long paying off the credit card. And then it'd roll around next Christmas. We'd about to have the credit card paid off. And we'd have to charge Christmas again. And it was a continual cycle trying to buy toys and different things. And I told Rachel one year, I said, we're not giving like we ought to give. I said, we're not giving our time. We're not giving the missions. That We're just throwing 5 or $10 in the offering plate. I said, we're going to start figuring it out. And I'm going to start tithing. I started tithing. And you know what? Uh, we said it started that in November. I said, I don't know how we'll pay for Christmas because I'm on tithe. It don't make no sense. I started giving like I should, giving my tenth, giving a little more than my tenth, giving in free will offering. Getting, and you know what happened? That, that year we put zero dollars on the credit card. I said we put zero dollars. You done started too late to tell me. If you'll do your part that God won't slide open the windows of heaven, thank God, and load you up with benefits and blessings, uh, and you can't outgive God, uh, and God knows how to take care of you, aren't you glad God has seen you through this far? Uh, you might be worried about some financial situation. I'm here to tell you, if you want a God's youngins, uh, he's going to take care of you. Amen. Uh, and he's got enough to do it with. Somebody say amen. A greater than Solomon is here when it comes to his wealth. But then we see that a greater than Solomon is here when it comes to his wisdom. Now verses 29 through verse number 31 speak of the wisdom of Solomon. If you'll read in 2 Chronicles 1, you'll find that God offered Solomon the opportunity to have anything that he wanted. And you know what Solomon asked for? He asked for wisdom. And God made Solomon the wisest man that ever lived. They came from all over the earth, Brother Neil, to ask Solomon his opinion on various things. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to wisdom, a greater than Solomon is here. I'm glad to report to you this morning that when I don't know what to do, thank God he knows what to do. 
I'm glad when I don't have a plan, hallelujah, that he has a plan. I was young one time, and I, I can remember living life thinking that all that was pie in the sky thinking I had to overplan and figure things out and have everything together. But I'm going to tell you, the older I get, Brother Neil, the more I realize that if I'll take it out of Bradley's hands and put it in the Savior's hands, that things go a lot better because he knows more than I know, amen, and he's able to do more than I can do. And one of the hardest things you'll ever do is to resign yourself to God's will. But I'm going to tell you one of the greatest things you'll ever do is to resign yourself to God's will because he is greater in his wisdom than Solomon, and he knows what to do. I'll show you some verses of Scripture. I won't have you turn. I got them printed out, but these right here are good. Psalm 147, verse number 5. Watch this. The Bible said, He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them by their names. Look what verse 5 said. Great is our Lord, and of great power, His understanding is infinite. You know, what I'm, you know what we're told about our father? You know what we're told about our father over there in the New Testament, Brother Billy? It says he has the hairs of your head numbered. Well, that's a bad example, isn't it? But you see all these hair follicles in here? The Lord's got a number on every one of them. Look at all that, look at all that hair that Trey's got. Every single one of them hairs, he's got numbered. That's what the Bible said. He's able to call every one of them stars by their name. Hey, his wisdom, his knowledge is infinite. Let me put it to you this way. There's nothing he don't know. You're facing a problem, he knows the answer. You've got a heartache, he knows how to solve it. You're facing a decision, he knows the right decision to make. There's nothing he does not know. His knowledge is infinite. Now, there was a limit to Solomon's wisdom. As a matter of fact, Solomon got wrapped up in pride. He loved many strange women, and he ended up in a mess. There was a limit to Solomon's wisdom. But can I report to you, thank God, there is no limit to our Lord's wisdom. He knows. Now, I'm going to show you something right here. Some of you are going to go, when I say it, y'all ready? Some of y'all are going to go, huh, I ain't so sure about that. You see this Bible? This Bible knows what's in your heart. This Bible does. You say, now, wait a minute, preacher. That's just a book. That's just an inanimate object. That's a leather cover over some, over some paper pages. All that is. Let me show you a little something right here. The Bible said in Hebrews 4, 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, piercing even to the designing, dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and marrow. Watch this phrase. And is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. This Bible, that Bible knows what's on your heart. Let me ask you Christians have been saved a while. How many of you have ever just been in distress and flopped it open? In a verse, just like God just speaking right straight to you. 
That's because this Bible knows what's on your heart. You say, no, that's just a book, preacher. Oh, it's more than a book. Get to reading it. It's more than an inanimate object. I'm just telling you that a greater than Solomon is here in his wisdom because he wrote a book that's able to discern your heart and able to speak to your need. You can open it up and read anywhere in its pages and it'll talk directly to you because it knows what's on your heart. That's amazing to me. This morning, me and Rachel was back there talking in the sound room and she said, look here what I just opened to and she pointed to uh, 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 a verse about faith and faith was what she was needing. And I'm just here to tell you that this Bible knows what's on your heart. Hey, would you agree with me this morning that a God that's able to write a book that's able to look in your heart and figure out what you need to hear and then show you on the pages of the Bible exactly what you need to hear. Wouldn't you say that he's a greater than Solomon? I say glory be to the Lamb of God this morning. What wisdom he has. He wrote a book that's able to discern our hearts. But you know what? With all this wisdom, with all this knowledge, he knows what's best for your life. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 27, the Bible said, And he searcheth the hearts, and knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28 says, And we, ought, we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. With all this infinite wisdom, with all this great knowledge, wouldn't, you, wouldn't it stand to reason that he'd know what is best for your life? All right, then I want to ask you a question. How come you always want to do what you think's best? When he always knows what is best for my life. How many of you agree with this? When you get saved, God takes a personal interest in you. He lives, God is not bound by time or space. He lives in today, he lives in tomorrow, and he lives in last year, he lives in next year, he lives in year after. He, he just is not bound by that. And he knows everything along the timeline. And the Bible said he's able to work all things to our good. So he knows what is best for you in his infinite wisdom. He's a greater than Solomon. Then why wouldn't we go to God and seek his wisdom and find what it is that the Lord wants us to do and then follow after his will? Why wouldn't we consider what it is the Lord wants and not what we want not what the world wants but what the Lord wants he knows all things let me show you a precept we may not run and shout right here but this right here will help you if you listen to me let me show you a precept right here when they're getting ready to feed the 5,000 he looked at Philip he said how are we going to feed this bunch Philip said this is impractical the rest of the disciples said this is impossible we can't do it. A hundred penny worth wouldn't be enough. But here's the phrase I want to point out out of that story. The Bible said he himself knew what he would do. You see, the Lord knew the answer to the problem before the disciples ever knew there was a problem. I'm let that settle in on you. Before you knew that you had a problem, the Lord already knew the answer to the problem. He himself knew what he would do. I remember that, that truth settled in my heart a great many years ago, uh, Beverly had just been diagnosed with cancer when she had her bout of cancer. And I remember I was standing in the foyer of the back of the church, and there was a lady that came to church there at the time. She came up to me, and she was crying and weeping about it. And uh, she said, what are we going to do? And I said, I don't know what we'll do, 
But I know that the Lord already knows what he will do. Because he told them disciples, he himself already knew what it was they was going to do in that situation. Now I'm going to tell you, there ain't nothing that caught God off by surprise this morning. There ain't nothing come in your life and God went, whoa, I didn't see that coming. Lord have mercy, what are we going to do about that? No, everything that comes, he already knows what the right thing to do is. The problem is a lot of times we make up our mind what we want to do and we go in our direction and we, we want to try and solve it and we want to put our hands to it when what we need to do is run up the white flag of surrender in our lives and say, God, I can't. You're going to have to take a hold of this thing. You're going to have to do it. I can't do it. And trust God to do something miraculously in your life. Many, many years ago now, I remember I was trying to pastor church. I was working a job. I think I was working at Summit at that time. I was trying to pastor a church. It seemed like we'd take three steps forward and five steps back. I never could. I was continually spinning my wheels pastoring. And I remember one Tuesday night down here at the camp meeting, the preacher preached right into my heart, and during the altar call, I got up in my pew, and I got right down in front of the pulpit. And I remember me saying, I was weeping, crying. Different people from the church got out and came to pray with me. They could see I was burdened. And I told the Lord right there in that altar, I said, God, I can't pastor this church. And when I said that, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, that's exactly what I've been waiting on you to say. I've been waiting on you to get, I've been waiting on you to finish up with what you's going to do and figuring out how you's going to do it. I've been waiting for you to run up the white flag of surrender and say, I can't, because when you admit you can't, I can. Amen. And boy, he's been taking care of it ever since. I'm just here to report to you, if you'll resign to do God's will, he knows what's best for your life. He knows what's best. Oh, I got to hurry. He's greater than Solomon in his wealth. He's greater than Solomon in his wisdom. Let me say this to you. He is, uh, let, me get over here to my, let me get over here to my scripture. I'm back in 1 Samuel. He is greater than Solomon when it comes to the area of his words. Verses 32 through 33, the Bible tells us that Solomon speaks some great words because he was greatly wise. But can I say to you that Jesus is better? <laughs> As a matter of fact, when that bunch went to grab hold of him in John 7, when they came back empty-handed, you know what they said? They said, never a man spake like this man. I, oh, there's just something about the words that he speaks. I, can I say he speaks words of, le- words of learning? The Bible said in verse 32 uh, that he spoke 3,000 proverbs. Solomon, uh, those were words of learning. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus has spoken more words of learning uh, than Solomon ever, sp- ever thought about. Amen. Uh, we see his words of learning. Uh, then there's words of joy. Uh, the Bible said uh, that uh, Solomon wrote all of these diff- over 1,500 different songs. Uh, but let me tell you what the Bible said in Psalm 119 and verse number 162. If I can find it here, I got it wrote down somewhere. Uh, Psalm number 119 
and verse number 162. Here it is. Rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. Look what the Bible said in Psalm 19.8. The Bible said the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. I'm glad, thank God, that he speaks words of joy to my soul and words of joy to my heart because he is greater than Solomon. Solomon, the Bible said, spoke about, he spoke words of creation. He spoke words about fish and trees and all that. But then the Lord, he was greater than Solomon because he created the fish and the tree. I'm just simply saying that Jesus is greater than Solomon. He's greater than Solomon in his words. He's greater than Solomon in his worshipers. The Bible talks here in verse number 34 that men came from all over the earth to seek the wisdom of Solomon. But let me tell you what the Bible said about the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Bible said there in, uh, uh, in uh, let's look at it, in Philippians chapter number 2 and verse number 10, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth uh, and things under the earth. Uh, Revelation 20 and 10 said, And the devil that deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, you know what that is? Uh, that's one that deserves our praise. Uh, he deserves our honor. Uh, every knee's going to bow. Every tongue's going to confess. Why? Because a greater than Solomon is he. And I preached all this way to get right here on this point. He's greater than Solomon in his wealth. He's great. Some of y'all are worried because it's already 1159. I'm done. I'm right now done. He's greater than Solomon in his wealth. He's greater than Solomon in his wisdom. He's greater than Solomon in his words. He's greater than Solomon when it comes to his worshipers. But then can I say this to you? He's greater than Solomon when it comes to his way. What are you talking about, preacher? I want you to notice a, ver- a phrase in verse number 29. The Bible said, verse 29, and God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much. Here's our phrase. And largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. Here's what, here's what the Bible said. The Bible said that Solomon had a heart bigger than all the beaches on the planet. He had a large, compassionate heart, Solomon did. But can I report to you this morning? We've got a Savior that's greater than Solomon. He's greater than Solomon when it comes to his love. Can I, can I share, just hang with me right here just a minute. Love, the word love, is mentioned 230 times in the New Testament. As a matter of fact, if you take away all the references to the Godhead, it's the second most used word in the Bible behind faith, love. Love is mentioned, or a derivative of love, is mentioned in every New Testament book. We're told by John that God is love. Now, while I know that God is holy, while I know that God has full of holy wrath and indignation toward the sinner, I'm glad to report to you that it was love that put Jesus on the cross. And while there at Calvary, Our Lord showed that his love was greater than Solomon's love. Even though Solomon had love the size of the ocean, thank God Jesus had a greater love. Let me say this to you. You know how I know his love's greater? Listen to me now. Number one, it's because he loved us first. 
1995, maybe 94 actually, sitting in a little old silver Beretta. Uh, y'all remember them Beretta cars? Rachel had a little silver Beretta car. The paint was coming off of it. It was them years, you know, Chevrolet made some cars certain years that couldn't keep paint on the cars. And so the paint was flaking off of it everywhere. We were sitting, I can take you probably to the parking place. We were sitting in a, uh, sitting in a parking place out in front of Mountain Heritage High School. I never had been so enthralled with a girl in all my life. And I took her by the hand and I looked her in the eyes and I said the big words, I love you. And she looked back at me and she said, we'll work up to that. Well, praise God. <laughs> but you know me, I, I, I just kept swinging for the fences. I was like, yeah, you're right, we will. And boy, you're going to love me too. I tell you, you are. And I reckon she does. And 30 years later, I reckon she does. But you know what? I, sometimes I'll tell her, I'll say, I love you. And she'll say, I love you more. And I'll say, "Uh uh-uh, I loved you first. That means I've been loving you longer. And so I've got more practice. I've loved her first. Well, when I go to the Lord sometimes and I'll say, Lord, I love you. (laughs) He'll say, I love you first. And I don't ever even get in that conversation with the Lord about I love him more because I know he loves me more than I could ever love him. And I love him a lot. But he loves me more and he loved me first. Well, that's a blessing to my heart. Because loving me first meant that he had to love me in my filth. Romans 5, 8 says, While we were yet sinners, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so I can understand why God loves some people. They seem to be pretty good people. But I know how terrible I was. How many of you this morning just nod your little Baptist head up and down? When God found you where he found you, you were in terrible shape. But God loved you in spite of it. I say his love is greater than Solomon's love. He has great compassion. He loved us first. And he loved us in our filth. You know what? Rachel and I, in all the years we've been married, I told you, I said, I love you. I love you first. And, uh, you know, there's been days when, We's fussing. I know y'all think that we don't never fuss, but we do a little. Not near, not near as much as we used to. But son raising youngins and things going on, you know. And uh, there's been times when we fussed. We fussed. Amen. Some of y'all like about y'all fuss too. <laughs> I remember one time we got. She's gonna kill me right here. Just put your fingers in your ears. One time we got in a big old knockdown drag out fuss, and we was coming up the road. It's right about this time of year because we was fussing over Black Friday of all the stupid things to fuss over. 
I had said something about, she'd said something about going, she's going to have to leave Thanksgiving. You know, that's that year they opening everything at like 5 o'clock on Thanksgiving Day. And I, I swear, we ain't going to get to have Thanksgiving. And that led to a fuss, and boy, it got out of hand. We got to the, we got, we got to the house, and she went throwing stuff in a suitcase. She said, I'm going to Mama's. And, uh, well, to begin with, she went, locked, she went in the room. I was knocking, knocking. Trey was standing there. He said, Daddy, let's play football. I said, not right now, son. I got to handle That's something I got to handle. He just a little bitter rascal. I'd knock on the door. Let me in there. Let me in there. Trey would come running up, and he said, let's play football. I said, not right now, son. Not right now. She'd come out of there and throw some things in a suitcase, and she said, I'm going to Mama's. She ran out there and got in the car. <laughs> me and Trey standing there on the front porch watching <laughs> And Trey said, Dad, we should have played football. <laughs> I said, yeah. Yeah, we should have played football. What we should have done is played football. But you know what's the great thing about that is? She took off tearing down the road. But there was something on her end and on my end that made her come back in about an hour. And there was something on my end that said, I'm sorry. You know what that was? It's love. Because sometimes we get aggravated and sometimes, you know, this happens and that happens. But when you got love, see, (laughs) you know, it covers a multitude of sins. When you got love, it it makes everything all right. That's the way, that's the... That's the way my relationship is with the Lord. There's times I do things that he's not satisfied with, and I come short, fall short. But you know what it is that makes him take me back every time I come wandering back into his presence and say, oh, Lord, I'm sorry. Oh, he's got a love in his heart that's greater than Solomon's love. And it's them ties that bind. It's them love ties. It's them love strength. And he bring, it brings me back to him. Watch this. His love, it meant that he loved me first. It meant that he loved me in my filth. But you know what that love means? That love means that I can cast away my fear. The Bible tells me that perfect love overcomes fear. That's what the Bible says. That's a head scratcher for me. So I think, you know what we've seen a lot since covid Faith over fear. Faith over fear. And I think if I can believe God enough, then I shouldn't be afraid. Right? Does that make sense? But it's not faith that overcomes fear. It's love. Now, I'm just preaching to you the Bible. Perfect love overcomes fear, not faith. You can believe in God and have faith in God and still be scared to death. But you know what? When you realize that he loves you so much that he'd never let anything happen to you, it'll overcome your fear. Huh? Y'all believe I love these youngins? Y'all believe I love Reagan? If I brought her up here, I love all y'all. But if anybody started at her do her any harm, I'd die before I'd let you. I'd die before I let you. It's my love for her. It's not so much that she would think, boy, daddy, he's a big bad guy and he's big and strong. No. It's that in her heart she knows daddy loves me so much that he'd die before he let anything happen to me. 
Some of you will get a hold of that tonight in a bed and you'll throw the covers off a bed of shouting. When you get a hold of how much God loves you and that he'd ne his love would never allow anything bad to happen. You say, preacher, what if I die? That's not a bad thing. <laughs> not when he takes you by the hand and escorts you into heaven. You see what I'm saying? He loves you so much. That ought to bring peace to our heart. That's the kind of love. That's the perfect love. It's his perfect love in our life that ought to overcome our fear. Knowing how much he loves us should bring us to a place where we're no longer afraid. Because his love is greater than Solomon. A greater, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, I don't know what it is you're facing. Yesterday, when I started studying on this message, there's several different places where I got hung up studying and God done some work in my life. I don't know what it is you're facing, but I'm just simply here to tell you that Jesus has the answer. He's got the answer, and he loves you so much that he'd never let anything bad happen to you. If you'll trust that love, that fear will leave. That fear will leave. Whatever it is you're facing... Whatever it is, it may be financial, it may be physical, it may be family problems, it may be, I don't know what kind of trouble it is you might be having. But whatever it is, a greater than Solomon is here. And he'd love to meet you right here at this altar. Boy, and I tell you, I've got things straightened out in my life in the altar over the years that uh, I never would have gotten straightened out if it hadn't been for the Lord. But there's a greater than Solomon around the altar this morning. Let's stand our feet. Father, Lord, I feel like I've made a mess out of that. But maybe you can take a few words, Lord, if I've stumbled, 